And we are recording in three, two. Welcome to the Ephesiology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the study of the early Christian movement and its implications for the church today. Today, though we are missing Matt Till, he is lost somewhere in the suburban sprawl of Chicago, Illinois. We are with Michael, our resident ephesiologist. I'm Andrew Johnson, associate pastor at Neartown Church in Houston, Texas. And we have a super special guest today, Nate Goss. Nate is a librarian at Cook Memorial Public Library. He is winner of the Library Journal's Mover and Shaker Award for 2020. He is the podcast host of the Cook Memorial Public Library podcast, and he is co-host of Can We Still Be Friends, uh, which is one of my favorite podcasts. I highly recommend you check it out. But um, this is me talking about Nate. Nate, welcome to our podcast. Uh, really glad to be here. You left out that we were college roommates, though. That was that was the big yeah. That was the big announcement. I thought that that was the big one. Roommates. We were actually we were. roommates. Oh, so when wow. when we have referred to uh, Nate Goss as friend of the pod, Nate, um, this is that Nate. Uh, he and I go way back, and our friendship is still intact. Uh, but. Um, Nate, before we jump into what we are talking about today, can you fill in some spaces? Um, who are you beyond my little bio that I read about you? Uh, that's a good question. So I also reside from the burbs of Chicago. Um, and, you know, I'm a dad. I've got uh, two twin boys, six years old, soon to be seven. Um, my wife, Andrea, we've been together um, I found out, I just thought we, we've been dating for almost 20 years uh, in about five days. So <laughs> it's awesome. So, so, so that's kind of my home life. Um, and uh, my, my work life, though, as you already mentioned, is I am a, I'm a librarian. And um, yeah, I, I, as, I was one of the recipients. There's quite a few recipients of that award. That's fair. Year. That's but, fair. Um, and, I, and I did it as a, a it was a kind of a, a, a partnership award with me and my coworker, Haley Samuelson. And uh, what we really, what that award was awarded for was some of our work towards um, bringing voter education into the public library sphere. So we mm. have, we created a voter education resource um, on our website that got some attention. Uh, we were asked to do some webinars for PLA, which is the Public Library Association. Um, and uh, we've done a couple webinars since then. We've presented at ILA, which is the Illinois Library Association. Uh, but this is really kind of our work now is to um, kind of figure out how to hone what the library's role is in voter education right now, and also uh, training other librarians on on how to do that. Uh, wow. The other aspect of that award was we we me and Haley both also teach. Uh, it's it's essentially media literacy. Now, if you call your class media literacy, no one shows up. But nope. if you but if you call it if you call it something spicy like how to spot fake news, uh, people show up. But it is essentially just a media literacy course, and that's kind of where we also see the public library fitting in, which is this role of helping to educate our communities about how to be better media consumers, essentially. So that's yeah, kind of amazing. Where Neat. I'm at. And, and me and Michael well, go way back too. I mean, you were one of my professors at Trinity, so this is yeah. super exciting. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, both of you guys, uh, to think back all those years ago. <laughs> it's hard. But it's, yeah. it's, yeah, I would say it's it been is. a minute. It's, it's been, been a, a minute. It's been a couple. Well, 
we Does did that fill not in the gaps enough. I or? would say yeah. I think okay. it did beautifully. And to to let our listeners know, uh, we did not have Nate come on so that we could discuss all of our college days again, and reminisce about them, and then make you all listen uh, woefully. Uh, but instead, uh, we asked Nate to come on due to kind of his involvement right now um, in the library and what his job has kind of this newer role that he has taken on because. Uh, if we turn back the clock a little bit, the last episode, we were discussing the state of the, theo- the state of theology report that had come out from Ligonier Ministries. And one of the questions was, um, should Christians be silent in regards to politics? And like Nate said, um, he decided to name his podcast or his, his class something spicy. And I would refer to that section of our podcast as spicy. Uh, there was, to say the least, there was, there was definitely some heat. Uh, there was some excitement between Matt, Michael, and I, and we thought, you know what? Let us not just tag on something that probably is important to a lot of people, but let's dedicate an entire podcast on it, and let's bring somebody who's kind of also boots on the ground uh, in regards to. When I say politics, I don't just mean like Nate's not running for office or anything, but um, he is heavily involved in what does it look like for us to make a difference in our communities. And so here's the question. Here's the question that I am going to throw out and, and we will see where it takes us or if we need to t- change tax. Um, the question is, how can a faithful Christian interact today in our political climate? Or what ways should or can or shouldn't faithful Christians act today in our political climate. So here's the question on the table. You as a listener certainly have some opinions and we uh, invite you into this conversation uh, to do so with an open mind and an open heart. So there is the question. I'm going to roll it out. What are some ways that we can faithfully or what or ways that a faithful Christian can be involved in the political climate today? There's the ball. It has been rolled out. Michael, <laughs> Nate, whoever wants to jump first, go for it. Yeah, great. That, you know what? It's such a, I mean, it's a challenging question, isn't it? Um, it? I mean, at one level, we need to understand what we mean by politics and Christian involvement in that. Um, but let me, let me just go back to what you were saying about this survey. The question is statement 21 if people are looking at the state of theology survey and and what it indicated was that uh, 65% of all Americans uh, disagreed with the statement that Christians should be silent on issues of politics. And when it came to the number of evangelicals, it was 82% of evangelicals uh, disagreed with the statement that Christians should be silent on issues of politics. That's and definitely so a lot. A, it's well, yeah, it's just more than just a handful for sure. Wait, so Michael, can you kind of so the sixty-five percent was what people who are not Christian being surveyed and no, saying this is the, the the whole general population of the three. There were three thousand and two respondents to the survey. So out of that three thousand and two, sixty-five percent disagreed with the statement that Christians should be silent on issues of politics. Okay. And then out of that 3,002, there were 582 uh, people who identified themselves as evangelical. Um, as evangelical. And from that group of 582, 
uh, 72%. Did I say 82? You said 82, you did, but 82, 82 percent. Okay. Um, disagreed with the statement that Christians should be silent on issues of politics. Got it. Thanks for the clarification. So for you, Michael, um, you you brought out a really good idea. So I don't. I'm not trying. This is not a debate. So, but I do think let's set terms so that we're kind of on the same page as we interact with that question from the State of Theology survey and for our conversation today. Then. Uh, I have two things out there, uh, ways that we can act as faithful Christians. So let's define that. And then uh, what, what are we stating as, you know, either politics or this political climate? What are some things that are coming to mind? Yeah, well, I mean, Nate, feel free just to jump in here um, at any point. But it's so blatantly obvious that we're in a very tense political climate right now. Uh, as much as a country uh, as uh, among evangelicals. Um, I don't remember a time ever in, in my lifetime when uh, a country has been as divided as we are now on religious, political, social lines. I'm sure there were periods of time when th there were similar issues that were creeping up and one might think of the 60s and the Vietnam era um, the presidency of Richard Nixon, for example, was certainly a, one of those tumultuous times in our country. Um, and other at times, of course, dealing with the civil rights um, it were certainly unprecedented for those time periods. But um, it seems to me that in our current climate, that uh, we are as divided, particularly uh, among evangelicals as, as we have never been before. Yeah. I mean, um, you were talking about today's, the, the climate is hot. That's, that's really what it comes down to. And so I think that makes this topic, um, you know, it's, it's a little more, there's a lot at stake to talk about right now that maybe if you were to have this exact same conversation, even maybe 10 years ago or something like that, you could have quote unquote friendly debate on this. You know what I mean? Um, you could have friendly disagreements and we are in a time I feel like that is reminiscent of maybe the lead up to the civil war, the civil unrest of the sixties. And I would mm. see this as kind of a third act of that. Um, and we're living in it. And none of us, well, sorry, I shouldn't say none of us. Michael, you were alive in the 60s, right? Oh. <laughs> that, this that is all painful. historical for us. <laughs> that was painful. Yes. So, so for at least for, at least though for me and for me and AJ, this is, this is, um, we've never lived in something like this before. Um, so wrestling with these things is also new in an experiential way. Whereas I think before it was more in a right. historical way. Yeah. 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 Uh, yes. I, of course, I was alive in the 60s. I don't remember much of it because I was still a young person, even in the 60s. But uh, certainly, I think what we see here is that, you know, this isn't something that has come out of the blue, but mm -hmm. we've been on a trajectory as a culture, as a society that has reached this point where we are today. It didn't happen in a vacuum. Um, there have been things historically that have gone on that have brought us to where we are. And it's almost as if, yeah, Nate, you describe it as hot. It's almost as if we've reached a boiling point now where things are beginning to spill out. Mm -hmm. And 
and it could uh, certainly take a, a dramatic, even a more dramatic turn by the time we get to November 4th. Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's a, not a bad uh, prediction, actually. <laughs> but I also think that when you look at those three, like if you count this as kind of a third aspect of this, you know, um, it does seem that in our country in particular, uh, the tension often does seem to center around racial tension. Um, we can get into a lot of other topics that create this tension, but just just looking at what seems to be an ongoing thing that resurges, uh, with, that makes things the most heated in America, this always seems to be something that's in there. Um, sorry, I'm turning my mic down just a little bit here. Is this better? I don't Perfect. want to be too hot. Yep. Okay. You're good. And I think that also what comes with these moments, um, I guess I don't know as much about the Civil War era, but certainly in the 60s. Is I this, certainly don't either. Yeah. Even though you you were there for the gettysburg address right i think that there's a lot of not only just tension but fear all around as well because when this happens um you also have uh, a questioning and a distrust of a lot of the institutions that have always kind of been there and you're starting to see them crumble just a little bit or crack just a little bit and i don't just mean political institutions i mean one of the things that we talk about uh, when we're librarians talking to other librarians about why the library is a good one to step into voter education, it's sadly because there's a Pew Research study done, this was in 2016, maybe 2017, that trust in institutions, and we're talking everything from government institutions to the church, to public education, to science, has eroded over the last few mm -hmm. years. Um, which creates, I think, for people a sense of just more loss of control and more fear. Um, and then you add to that the division and the tension at that political ideological level. And it's really a recipe for a lot of unrest um, and a lot of just people feeling lost, I think. Yeah, yeah that, uh, absolutely. And, you know, you, you think of not just the distrust of the institution, but even the distrust of the leaders of those institutions. And similar uh, studies like the Barna study that is showing us how uh, that distrust is eroding among pastors and, and uh, others. I mean, we've known this about politicians. Politicians are notoriously distrusted. Uh, sure. But um, but increasingly, even uh, civic leaders are are falling in that uh, category as well. Right. For those who are uh, fun and loving of historical things, Chicago is called the Windy City, not because of the weather, but right. because of the politicians. That right. is why it is called the Windy City. So, you know, it's not a new thing to say there's a lot of distrust politically. Um, but I there has always been, I think, a base level trust in that, 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 the, that the checks and balances and that the institution itself would hold, I guess, is kind mm -hmm. of what I'm getting at, you know. And I think so those people are eroding. So maybe even a way to say is the people who are the ones that get the, the, set the bad mantle for politician, you know, that, that moniker comes with a pejorative. You say it like a pejorative. Sure. Um, yeah. Those people are outliers typically. 
or just that there's, you know, the constitution, for instance, or there's things that are just outside of political identities or political people that will hold the system together, I guess. And, and trust in that even, I think has eroded in a way, unlike others. Yeah. Um, I think that's a very good observation, Nate, because you just think about the number of times we hear threats, uh, um, lanced out against uh, those who would threaten the constitution as if any one person or one, even any one branch of our government could actually threaten uh, that document. And yet it's used in a, in a weaponizing way to get people riled up and uh, to oppose another side. So, yeah. Okay. So this is, this is then the political climate. This is kind of, at least we have a a working understanding of this boiling point that we are all presently within. So now let us take us back to that first set of the phrase, uh, faithful Christian. Um, How do we want to define somebody that actually is being a faithful Christian in (laughs) said political environment? I think this is going to get towards us answering ways that we can be involved but what does that look like then for a faithful Christian to be involved in this boiling point time? You know, and this is something that we talk about often on the podcast. And uh, of course, it's part of the, the uh, motivation behind what we're doing in ephesiology is to help people understand what it means to live faithfully as a Christ follower. And we've defined that over and over again in terms of um, what we would identify as certain characteristics of a uh, as of a disciple as well as of the church and uh the end of course uh, characteristics of what we think uh, was going on in the new testament to see uh, th- that church grow so significantly over the course of uh the, that the first uh, several decades and a part of those characteristics, of course, that we see in the, in the church that is manifested as a result of the transformation of people are the, the, uh, the changes that we see in society. You know, we talk about Acts chapter 19 in uh, the church or the, the movement that began in Ephesus, the change among religious leaders, not only Jewish leaders, but uh, leaders of the worship of Artemis. We see economic change that happened. That sometimes that change was negative, as in the case in Ephesus, uh, where the makers of idols were losing money uh, because there were a decreasing number of worshipers of Artemis and people not buying uh, the, the idols that they had made. We see at some level an educational uh, uh, change as well. You think of Paul. Uh, t- teaching in the school of uh, Tyrannus, uh, you see the, 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 uh, just the brilliant uh, use of the Lagos philosophy of Heraclitus as a way to engage the culture, uh, to declare something that Heraclitus had, had uh, taught 600 years prior to Paul and, and John and others. Um, and you see some, at some level, some sort of political transformation. I mean, you think of the, the uh, town clerk and the testimony that he gives of those early Christians, uh, Gaius and Aristarchus, when he says that these were neither blasphemers um, uh, or sacrilegious toward our goddess. 
and of course, we have Paul's example of his friendship with the Asiarchs, the rulers of Roman Asia. And so there were all these things that were going on that really characterized the church and uh, its, its impact in a society through the transformation of people who, who were followers of Christ. So then here's my question, almost, uh, Michael, taking how we've started this conversation, looking back at the state of theology question, now applying it to that first century church. With all of those changes, would you say those Christians were silent in regards to politics at that time? Yeah, you know what? And that, gosh, I'm really wrestling with this question. Um, Just this morning, I was working through Revelation 13 and 14, where I think we have a very clear picture of some of the issues that were going on politically in the Roman Empire at the time of John's writing uh, of that book. And then, of course, reflecting back on Romans 13, uh, which is a different political climate. You know, Romans 13, when Paul writes about governments, uh, this is still during the reign of Nero, uh, but early in his reign. And uh, Nero had not persecuted Christians up to this point. Um, and uh, and in, in what Paul writes there, there it seems to be a very favorable view of government and its role in society to ensure that, uh, that good happens in society, but even more importantly, to ensure that Christians actually do the good things that they're supposed to be doing. And governments were, uh, were established by God in order to ensure that they acted properly. But by the time we get to Ro- uh, Revelation 13, boy, things have changed. And uh, of course, there are various views of Revelation 13 and, and the image of the beast with the seven heads. And if that is uh, representative of Nero and uh, seven subsequent emperors of the Roman Empire or, or whatever, um, it, it certainly is dealing with uh, issues of, of um the, the impact that a government can have on uh, Christians. And what I see through all of that is um, just this recurring theme that it, one, God is sovereign and he is the one who, as Paul says in Romans 13, um, the ESV translates it as uh, that, that the government is instituted by God. I, I think that's might be taking a little bit of liberty with uh, the Greek word uh, tasso, um, but certainly the okay. government is appointed by and established by God in an act of God's sovereign sovereignty over all of creation. Um, oh, now like, I just lost my train of thought. Well, okay. Well, so if, if, okay, yeah, Nate, jump in. Well, I was just going to say, um, like, I, I think that that theme you're talking about, Michael, is, is key for a Christian, that no matter what you do on election day, God is sovereign, you know, that that is sort of the key, right? But the question of the podcast is really, okay, if you know that, that's your presupposition, how do we act, right? What does it mean to be faithful in that? And I like the idea of kind of looking at what the early church did and maybe even looking at the gospels and, you know, kind of how Jesus did his ministry. Um, But one of my questions is, and I know, I know that uh, for this podcast, it it might be a hard question, but is there a limit to 
what that can provide us today. And I say that because what we're talking about really is praxis, right? Like what, what should a Christian do in this situation that we're in right now? And you look mm-hmm. to the Bible and you look to, you look to the early church uh, and the New Testament. And the thing is, it's not an A to B correlation necessarily because this was the Roman Empire you're talking about. This was not the same political system that we live in today. Um, so, you know, it's not like the Roman Empire was inviting a whole lot of participation amongst its <laughs> citizens. You know, so you get the question of what a Christian, what an early Christian or would Jesus vote? Well, they didn't really have the option, right? You know, they, they didn't really, that wasn't really given to them. And you're right. It's true that there didn't seem to be a revolutionary spirit that tried to gain them the votes. It wasn't like a suffrage movement or anything like that. At the same time, though, you know, history has, you know, progressed. And we do live in a system now that is a republic. And what does it mean to live in a government that does, to at least a certain degree, invite participation from its citizens and a healthy, you know, population of those citizens happen to be disciples of Christ, you know, uh, maybe not healthy, I don't know, but you know, uh, just that there are disciples of Christ that live in this nation that is a republic, it is not an empire. Now you hear often people will compare the United States to the Roman Empire, and that's more in like foreign policy and ways in which the, gov- the American government has acted that are similar to empire. But in terms of participation of its citizens, we are still more on the side of a republic than an empire. So that, that's kind of my thing that I would be wrestling with is, you know, how much can the early church really tell us on the praxis level uh, about these things? Mm. Yeah, and that's a, a great uh, question in terms of what does it look like to live it out in our day? And I think you're right, Nate. I think, I mean, there is, of course, those who will suggest, and perhaps rightly, that uh, the, the Roman Empire was one of the first representative types of governments since it had a senate. Uh, how much True. voice yeah. people had uh, in affecting change politically, we don't know. But certainly when Jesus comes into Palestine in uh, the, the early first century, uh, uh, there were political tensions. There were zealots who were opposing the government and making attempts to violently overthrow the government. And of mm-hmm. course, this is what, what uh, uh, motivates the Jewish wars, the zealots wanting to overthrow the Roman uh, reign over Palestine. And then you have the Herodians who were siding with the government, seeing that the government did offer some sort of security and protection for property and these types of things. And Jesus himself lands right in the middle of this. Um, And I think it's instructive to look at his life and recognize that he did not side with the Herodians, nor did he side with the Zealots. Uh, He had his own agenda uh, which was to bring glory to God, uh, his father, and, and complete the mission that he was on. Uh, what did that look like in terms of his praxis? I think the Gospels beautifully tell us what that looks like in terms of the fact that he healed people. Um, he stood in the gap for issues of injustice. Um, he uh, engaged in some of the economic issues, the tax issue, for example, uh, in, in, uh, in, 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 while he was on earth. And so there were, there were things that he did 
that affected change in the lives of people and in the lives of uh, society. And I, I, I think that he's a good person for us to look at. <laughs> Uh, to uh, try. Oh, to you play the Jesus part. card. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's that's the easy card to play, but but it's okay, a good one. Michael, it's a relevant one, uh, right? It, at least but it in seems terms to of me. in terms of praxis, if I were to try to be reductive in my argument, which is never a good idea, but if I was going to be reductive and I said Michael just said Jesus was active, but he called out the Herodians and didn't take their side. And he called out, well, I was about to say the tyrants, but tyrants are kind of the Herodians. Um, he, he called out both sides. And he said, He called I am out neither. everybody. I mean, it just right. wasn't those two sides. He mm -hmm. was calling out no. everybody. And if we want to then try to, to contextualize it today and say, well, Jesus acted in the middle and he wouldn't pick a side, Democrats or Republicans, Thus, I shouldn't be involved in any sort of politics because Jesus didn't pick a side. Yeah, I think that, that would be misunderstanding Jesus. Um, I think in one, at one, in one sense, I would say, yes, Jesus wasn't involved in politics in the sense of organized politics in regards to taking a side of the Herodians or the Zealots or whoever. Um, but he wasn't involved in religion either, we might say, because he didn't take the sides of the Pharisees or the Sadducees. Right. Um, he opposed both because he had a mission that was the, the right mission of uh, the glorification of his father. Uh, does that mean that he wasn't involved in uh, orchestrating some social change? Absolutely not. Uh, Jesus was intricately involved in orchestrating social change. And social change happened. Um, but the question is, is how did it happen? And it happened through the faithful praxis of him and his followers actually engaging in these issues. Um, and so in Matthew 25, Matthew writes um, this beautiful story of the, the king who uh, it was over a kingdom, and, uh, and we get this image that it's really talking about Jesus and the care that his followers would have for those who are in, in prison, those who are in poverty, uh, the, those who are ill, are the actions of that king's followers, uh, meaning that those are our actions as believers. We must, there, there is no option here of not doing this. We must be involved in those types of actions, just as Jesus himself was involved in those actions. Okay. So, but does that mean personal action? I, as a believer, or we as a community, a church are going to go out and feed the poor. That's good. But if we seek legislative change so that the poor are, fat, are fed, that's bad. And, and again, I know I'm, it's a false dichotomy, but what I'm saying but is we seek the good of others and we want to see that changed due to our faith and our care for people. So I'm saying, again, I, I know it's kind of a big extreme, but... Like, is that, is that kind of 
Because what I'm hearing from you is a lot of personal action, but not sort of any sort of leaning into the systemic uh, ways that we have available to us to also help meet those ends. Yeah, I don't know that it's necessarily an either or. And this is where we get back to, to what Nate was raising earlier. But it, it, the, the, you do not find the United States in the Bible. In spite of what others uh, will try to argue, <laughs> uh, our dear friends of other uh, eschatological persuasions, um, I don't see the United States in the Bible. Um, uh, listeners, you can pick your jaw up off the ground now. If that, if that surprises <laughs> you or shocks you, just be with yourself for a moment. It's not in the Bible. Michael, go on. Uh, so, that, so to suggest that there is some sort of correlation uh, between our context and that co- context might be taking it further than what it needs to be uh, taken. That being said, I do think there are principles that we can uh, identify in Scripture in terms of how is it that a Christian should act uh, in relationship to political systems. And here is where, you know, I think Revelation 13 is very instructive. Um, I think Revelation 13 is telling us that we need to endure. Christians need to endure through these hardships. And certainly we live in times, as we described earlier, that uh, there are hardships here. There's suffering that's going on. Christians and non-Christians are suffering in our current political climate. And we're called to uh, endure through those. We're not only called to endure, but we're uh, called to not be fooled. I mean, here you have in Revelation 13, uh, this this, uh, beast, Figuratively speaking, uh, perhaps some emperor, some political figure, uh, certainly, who has uh, fooled both the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free and the slave. He has pulled the wool over their eyes and made them think that his way or her way or the system's way is the right way. And I think uh, that what Revelation 13 is teaching us as Christians is to not be fooled by those things. Be wise about what you see going on before you. And then uh, I think it, it teaches us, and this is something that we talk about so often on our podcast, it teaches us to stay on mission, that there is something that is greater here, um, and that is the Christian engagement in these issues on a very personal and practical level. I put one other thing down here as in terms of what this might show us. Um, but I, I think it does. I think what Revelation 13 is showing us is, and I'm going to say this and you guys are going to go off on me and I, I apologize for that, but I, I think it's saying this, that we are not to be aligned with a political figure. I mean, this beast was a political figure of some sort, whether it's a government system or an actual individual. Um, it, John is telling us, don't align yourself with that person, whoever it is. You are to align yourself with Christ uh, and and stay on on His mission. Um, so anyway, so I think there are things in Scripture that can help us see how a Christian is to act. Um, but then you know now we're in the 21st century. Uh, we're in a in a uh, sort of democratic republic where. We have certain freedoms as citizens of this country 
to uh, enact some sort of political action uh, on the part of others. And, uh, and, and so here's my concern. And then I'm, I'm going to pause here and I want to hear from you guys. But here's my concern for uh, us today is that there is a segment of the evangelical population. And we see, uh, as that survey identified, that uh, 82% are saying we should not be silent when it comes to politics. That there is a certain segment that is looking at our voice in the political system as being the solution. It isn't the solution at all. And if we think that just casting a vote on November 3rd is going to solve all of our problems on November 4th, we're fooling ourselves. And so my, my deep concern is that for that group of Christians to think that it is just simply enough that they vote, that they're, they're, they're missing what the New Testament is about. If we are not taking action by demonstrating what Jesus has taught us in his life, then, uh, then I mean, we're hypocrites, to be honest. And uh, that deeply, deeply concerns me. Nate, what are you thinking? At least I yeah, saw Nate's I, head shaking, and for that, I'm grateful. <laughs> no, I, I was a, well, that's the thing, because as much as, you know, Michael, as much as we've kind of gone back and forth privately about this, I mean, you're, you're talking now, and I'm just saying amen to all of it. You know, like, I don't, I don't actually disagree with a single word you said. And in fact, I think the part where you said sort of aligning yourself with an individual and the dangers of that, uh, I totally agree with that, too. In fact, you know, as someone who does work quite a bit outside of church circles. I mean, nothing has hurt the Christian witness more than the align the perception of an alignment amongst evangelicals with Donald mm -hmm. Trump. I mean, that that has been um, severely damaging. Even if you uh, tend to are someone who agrees with a lot of his, uh, you know, uh, policy positions on things, um, there is a perception that that means an alignment with him as an individual. And it has... Um, been damaging, I'll say, to the least. And that would be true, I think, of any political candidate. Uh, I, I think it's a little more severe in this case, but that's just me. <laughs> but but my, my point to that all is um, I think where we differ is the way that we could agree on everything you said, but do you honestly see going into the voting booth and voting for a candidate as absolving you uh because i i actually don't think that that's the general well i, I mean i could be wrong but i know personally for me um it's kind of like no of course your vote is not going to change things uh in any real uh it's not going to have a russian revolutionary impact you know you're not going to achieve utopia or the kingdom of god by going <laughs> by going into the voting booth and voting for your candidate but i also don't think most people believe that. I, and, I, and I think that you're right that there is a segment that um, will see, it's more of a segment that's, I think, a little bit just more um, cynical and also just doesn't really want to uh, get out there and do the work. <laughs> but, but basically, there, you're right, there is a group that's going to go there and think, I, you know, I went, I voted, I did my thing, you know, and kind of wash their hands of everything. And to me, it's like, no, I mean, the, the, the work is the work is always there. The work is just beginning. The work, and, and but I guess where we differ is where I would say, nonetheless, voting is part of that. Nonetheless, um, 
because of the specific government system that we have um, that allows for our citizens to have a say in basically the general direction of the ship, I guess. And to, I guess, to ignore that or to say, to kind of wash your hands of that and say, I don't really feel like I should participate in that because I'm a Christian or because I have faith um, does seem to be throwing away one of the tools in your toolbox towards doing this work, doing this, this, this work that you've, you know, whatever your values are uh, that come from your belief um, as a follower of Christ. I have been through the, you know, past few elections and I have used, you know, this is, this is not a confession time. I'm just putting it out there. I have used my vote in the last maybe four elections for third party because, you know, there were just things that were bothering me platform wise and uh, what ended up coming out from the candidates that I wasn't behind. I would say that the past four years under 45 has helped me see that um, the scope and the impact the president of our country can have on the actual daily lives of people and, and I do, and, and then the future of those people. And um, in, in a moment of heated spiciness in the last podcast, I was, you know, bringing up the, the example of um, that under this administration, you know, we were putting children and people in cages uh, in horrible conditions um, and I thought, you know what? I think we as Christians should be able pretty, pretty safely to stand against that and say that's, that's really bad. And then there's uh, the most recent whistleblower complaint that um, there are an increase of sterilizations that are being done without consent uh, to ICE detainees. Now, it's a whistleblower complaint. So this one's kind of still in process. There is still going to be a lot of work to say, was the whistleblower complaint accurate and true? But if it is, my vote for a candidate either allows or stands against things that are going to impact the future of not just a person, but entire families. Those women who were sterilized aren't going to be able to have kids all because of their presence in an ICE detention facility. It seems to me that my vote is not going to ever be fully behind or aligned with any one candidate or party. But it does tell me this simple act of voting, I am not looking for them to be my savior, but it is certainly going to be a step towards what I believe as good in society Hmm. and saying, I hope that this is going to be something that is going to impact the, the lives of families day in and day out and their future. And mm-hmm. I get policy changes every four years, every two years. You know, whoever is in power, they're going to do or undo everything that has been done by the previous administration. So I get that. But to say, you know, to put a vote in, to vote does not equal full support. To vote does not equal full alignment but to vote is to participate in the common good for everybody. And I think that's worthwhile. Yeah. yeah. And I, 
Go ahead, Nate. I, I was just gonna. Um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. I, sorry, so you, I, I you did that ahead. to you. Yeah. No, 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 I no. Indirect trains. Yeah, yeah, but, uh, Andrew, I appreciate what you're saying, and um, and I, honestly, I'm uh, you know me, I wrestle with these things, and I try to wrestle with them as deeply as I I can. Um, and one of the things that you you um, mentioned, I think, is part of you know the concern that I have that those going into the voting booth on November third will vote, and then you know, like you you were saying, Nate, they'll they'll potentially wash their hands of it because they've done their civic duty. Uh, that action needs to be taken. We need to be uh, engaged uh, personally, uh, corporately as a church. And, I, and I'm so concerned, you know, as I've already expressed, that the church has just kind of relegated that engagement to the government uh, because it's, I mean, in some way it's become rather impotent in knowing how to effectively engage it because for so long we've thought and we've been kind of educated particularly as evangelicals to believe that our our uh, our uh, engagement in politics is enough to affect change in our country and what we're seeing is that it's not it hasn't uh, i mean we're still wrestling with the same issues it's almost like a cycle um and and so on i, I had some other thoughts yeah too uh um on this because i think one of the things here is and, and I've said this, I said this in the book, When Evangelicals Sneeze, that um, my, one of my, uh, and it might be the primary criterion that I use to decide on uh, th these types of things in terms of voting is which candidate is going to be more likely to permit me the freedom to continue to, to be a Christian and spread the gospel and it's full understanding, not, not in a narrow understanding of only the message of salvation, but in its complete understanding of the bringing of good news, that there's sight for the blind and uh, the release of the captives and so on. Um, which candidate is going to most fully permit me to do that? Not just in the United States, but on a global level. And, um, and so that really helps at least me to narrow who that potential candidate it will be. But the question then that I raise uh, for myself is, does my voting for any candidate uh, act as a hindrance to the spread of the gospel? Um, uh, because I, I recognize that, you know, and here I'm, I'm wondering if 1 Corinthians 8 is a part of the application of this. I, I recognize that Yes, I have the freedom to do this, and I can do this on my conscience. Um, and, and yet, when I do something like this, could it present a stumbling block to others coming to Christ? Um, and I say that on both sides. You know, if, if I were to, for example, vote for Joe Biden, would it prevent somebody who is conservative in their politics and does not believe in Christ would their knowing that I voted for Biden be a stumbling block for them coming to Christ? And the opposite yeah. is true as well. <laughs> yeah, you know, Nate, does, I would love to hear. Yeah, no, I, I, jump in, Nate, jump in. I mean, I think I'm talking about non-believers. Uh, 
you know. If- well, here, just, just, uh, I mean, our last podcast, we kind of did this whole podcast on this state of theology thing. And what we're seeing in that, uh, the survey is that even the majority of evangelicals have a false sense of who they are in Christ because they, right. they don't even believe that Jesus is God. Right. And so when we're talking about uh, this broad understanding of what it means to be a Christian, there are a lot of people who yeah. identify culturally with Christianity and even evangelicalism that really are far from understanding what that actually means. Right, right. I guess I've, so, so like a few things. So, so one of which is that I feel like um, there is a real danger that I think you hit on a lot earlier um, of kind of conflating a party's ideology or conflating a person with, um, you know, what it means to be a Christian. So that is always a danger. And we have to be smart about that, right? We have to always understand when we vote that, hey, if I vote Democrat, that does not mean that that's my identity. You know, mm-hmm. uh, my identity cannot lie in that. Uh, and you've explained, I think, very well why that, that's, that's really um, hindering what it means to be a faithful disciple. On the other hand, though, I will say that we can look and see that political action does have lasting impact. Um, it's not just that, you know, the idea that we're just... Um, that we've sort of let government take care of social justice and, and, and stepped away from it. Um, I, I don't know. I, I feel like that's true to a, that, that could be true to a certain degree, maybe within certain sections and sects of Christianity. Um, and that can be seen as a negative, but also it's, if you look through, I mean, you know, you, you, you don't get rid of slavery without government action, without policy. You don't get a Voting Rights Act. You don't get civil rights without actual legislation, without mm. voting in candidates that work through these things. And if you look at any of those movements, the real heroes, they're not Lincoln. They're not LBJ. The real heroes are the abolitionists. The real heroes are the civil rights activists. It's the people who are doing those movements, those boots on the ground, those getting out there, writing the letters, talking to people, changing minds, changing the narrative, bringing love, you know, and fighting oppression. That, that's where it happens. And that's where, you know, that should be what really excites Christians. But within every one of those movements, they had to understand you either got to get the right people in office to do that, mm. or you've got to know how to talk to those people. Okay. You've got to find people in the office. You got to meet them at their level because they understood that even within activism, even within movements that are trying to fight oppression, there are limits within our system. You know, we are a system, whether we like it or not, we are a system that it runs on some type of constitutional order. Okay. We, we run on based on laws. Um, and so there was always this understanding that to, as we work towards liberation, as we work towards fighting oppression, as we work towards justice, at some point in that road, you're going to have to work towards changing laws. You're going to have to work towards changing the system itself. And so that's why I say, yeah, voting doesn't solve everything, but it's still part of it. It's, it's, still, it's still part of this. And, and, and I think the, the real question isn't necessarily, you know, what am I saying by voting for this person? But it's more, Mm -hmm. I know that I'm going to be in this fight. I know that I'm going to keep fighting. Who am I going to vote for that is going to allow this fight to flourish? That's Mm -hmm. going to allow this thing to happen 
within our system of government um, the most, I guess. And so something you both said, really, I wanted to key in on is that um, how different would it be? Michael, you had said that I want to vote for the candidate that is going to allow me the greatest freedoms to continue to do the things that I wanted to do. Um, My thought there is that what has happened is that people said, Uh, in 2016, Hillary Clinton and the Democrats are going to come for my faith and they are going to shut it down and they're going to close my church and I'm not going to ever be able to talk about Jesus again. That was one of the fear tactics that was kind of used um, by the Republicans. It's it's, it's pure fear mongering is what it is. Yes. And so that is, I mean, we can say it may or may not be happening right now. Um, I'm going to say, yes, that same fear tactic is being done right now. But I want to look at 2016 as an example in that so many Christians were worried about what the Democrats would do, that they voted for Donald Trump. The act of voting, though, again, we all keep hearing about the percentage of evangelicals who voted for Donald Trump. And that, you know, that's like the first sentence and tons of headlines about Christians and, and Republicans. What matters is not just the initial vote, but every day afterwards that the evangelicals continue to say, this is our guy. We support him. It doesn't matter what he does. He is going to get us what we want. We are for him. We are for him. We are for him. I think something that's coming out in this discussion is that a vote for a candidate does not mean you give him your full support or her. But the reality is, where are you after you cast that vote? Mm -hmm. Because if evangelicals dug their heels in at every turn when 45 acted as he did in ways that were uncharacteristic of Christ followers and not for the good of people, if evangelicals on the whole dug their heels in and said, this is bad, Mm -hmm. this is no good, then we would actually probably say something different right now in regards to the witness that evangelicals would have globally. Yeah, and that's just locally. And that's, and that's political action. That's good political action. You know, I like what right. Noam, Chom- Noam Chomsky uh, recently said, vote for your candidate and then haunt their dreams. You know, like that, that, that when you vote for a candidate, you know, you shouldn't just be giving them a tacit endorsement. You should be basically saying, I'm going to, as a citizen, we're basically hiring you for the job, but you work for us. <laughs> You know, and uh, that means that uh, part of political action isn't just voting, it's voting and then voting and then immediately getting ready to fight a lot of what you don't agree with of that candidate. And I would say with either candidate, if there's right. if you're if you're aligning with every single policy position of either candidate, you've got some internal work that needs to be done as a Christian, I believe. So. I think no matter what you do when you go to vote, you're going to have to be ready to stand against the things that in that candidate you voted for uh, stand against what you believe. Yeah, I think we saw at the beginning of the summer. Uh, well, so the two major events this uh, year, uh, if they're, if God doesn't keep sending us more, is the onslaught of COVID-19 and the issue of the racial divide raising up with Black Lives Matter. And I found it fascinating, Nate, you just said it really beautifully, is that on both of these issues, people who were typically pro-life in the abortion discussion were taking pro-choice stances 
in the COVID-19 discussion. Mm. And people who were pro-choice in the abortion discussion were taking pro-life stances in the COVID-19 discussion. It, it, we all tend to take uh, sometimes moral stances that get batted around with our own political leanings. Whatever our, our party is saying, we, we can understand, oh, I'm, I'm against this, and here's my political backing for it. If you, if you just go straight down your ticket and platform without any issues, what have, what have you, where have you compromised? Um, where have you kind of given up the ghost and said, I, I just, I'm not going to fight anymore. Um, you know, friend of the pod, Noam Chomsky, I really appreciate that. Um, that, that line is money. And I wish that Christians would take this. And this is kind of where I'm coming from. So if I'm putting my cards on the table, I wish that believers wouldn't just say our only activity, our only action is within church walls and, and uh, on the heels of my church's title. And that's how I'm going to show up in the community. I would rather us take kind of that Kuyperian view. Uh, Abraham Kuyper has the quote that there is no square inch that God, there's no square inch in all of creation that God cannot look at and say mine. And I would like for us to be able to live out our faith in the same way and say, every square inch of creation declares God's name. And I'm going to show up there bearing his name and seek to see his reconciliation and redemption, the goodness of God show up here. And so that means politics. That means racial issues. That means uh, issues of immigration and all those things. No, the Bible doesn't give a clear cut way of, and now here's how you legislate that but that doesn't mean we don't show up and show our faith there in the name of Christ because of who we serve and because of who we are. That's what I hope for. Yeah. And I think this is the challenge, at least uh, for us, um, particularly living in a country like we live in. Um, Yeah. And I think we need to to wrestle with that uh, as well. I I mean, I agree up to a point, Andrew, with what you're saying. Um, action has to take place um is it is it is it necessarily always going to involve uh, some sort of political action um perhaps it it will uh, but what if it doesn't well, uh, right, do but, but still... what if it does that's what i'm saying like i don't want this false dichotomy of just because it may not always doesn't mean it never does Right. And, but here's, here's my concern is if, whenever we begin to take this strong political position and say that we must always be involved in this type of political action, um, I, I think that it has the potential. It doesn't mean that it does this necessarily, but it has the potential to begin to confuse our identity. Um, and, and what I mean by that in a country like ours, where it's so often among Christians, Christians will say that, well, I serve God, family, and country, uh, almost equally, uh, that maybe sometimes God might be a little bit above family and country. God might even be, uh, second to country and uh, among some, um, but this idea of, of uh, patriotism and how it then uh, is involved in our identity or 
in the identity of a Christian living in a, in a country like the United States. Yeah, I, I think that um, I'm, I'm going to bring a little bit back to the, the work I've been doing at the library. So our project, actually, we called it our resource. We called it Be a Voter. And I think what, what, uh, what we're trying to get at is this idea of, you know, it's funny that these topics, what we're doing right now, they, sent, they tend to always come up during presidential elections. And we talk about politics as, it's, as if it's just about who's president, right? And then it's really, it does become a temptation for this to really become about really aligning yourself with one party, or it becomes about aligning yourself with an individual, okay? And I, and I agree with you, Michael, that is dangerous. That is extremely dangerous. My idea is, I think, I believe part of being faithful in this country is to just be a voter, not in the sense of like every four years, I want to come and definitely hammer it with this, you know, revolutionary <laughs> statement because you're not, what you're doing is not revolutionary. Okay. When you're voting. Um, but elections happen a lot more frequently than every four years and That's elections right. and elections uh, and, and there are so many more people on your ballot than just the president. And often actually those consolidated elections that happen in, you know, for us, it's in April, like these elections for your local village boards, for your um, school boards, for your library boards, for your mayors, um, you know, these things have the potential to have an even more direct impact in your mm. life. And so our idea is just part of being a citizen, both a citizen of this country uh, and also being a faithful disciple of Christ is just to be a voter. And that doesn't mean you're, you're a voter in a, in a sort of political, strong stance. It just means participate. It means be there. It means show up, okay? And it doesn't always look, because especially with those local elections, they don't even declare party. You know, there's no party affiliation on those ballots. So being a voter and just voting is such a base level to me way of participating in the running of our country in a way that actually does shape and mold things. Mm -hmm. And to me, if you believe that your convictions as a Christian have any bearing at all on the lives of people, you should want to be involved, not in a zealous militant way that wants to hammer you down with the power of my party and my beliefs, but I want my voice to be heard. I want to be there at every election and just throw in my vote and say, this is kind of how I see things. Okay. Now, when you're talking about presidential elections, those way you see things, I'm going to put that in quote, the way you see things gets superheated and it almost gets muddled and it, be, and it does almost unavoidably become divisive and almost militant and scarily ideological. Mm -hmm. And I always like to just kind of pull people out of that and say, you know, when we're talking about participating, it doesn't always have to look like that. It doesn't always have to look like every four years I show up and just make sure that I'm part of my tribe, okay? Being a voter means being smarter, being wiser about these things and looking at things more holistically, which is what every Christian should do, I think. You know, don't just look at government as who's the president right now. Look at your government as all these different branches working together at the local level, state level, county level, national level, all these things working together to just present this society that we live in. And as a Christian, I've got something to say about that. And that's okay. It doesn't have to look like lining up with it as a Democrat or Republican. Do you get, do you get what I'm saying at all? Yeah, or? no, you know what? And I, I love what you're saying, in fact. Uh, but doesn't it take a level of maturity that seems to be absent <laughs> today in Christianity, honestly, and in, yeah, and, yeah. in evangelicalism? I mean, what if the call for us <laughs> to each other was... Um, not just be a voter, 
But as believers, we actually need to exhibit humility, patience, and wisdom with other people, not just brothers and sisters, although that's probably a good start. But I mean, the, the, here's the thing, like all three of us have talked politics off of, off of this podcast. It's gotten heated at times. That's fine. That's part of it. Yeah. But this right here is still a very measured, gracious, and it's a conversation that we are still seeing the best in each other and are happy to walk into this. Um, Nate, I mean, we'll be best buds. That's the rating I will give this. Um, but sorry, can we still be friends? Podcast joke. Uh, please check it out. On your that's local extremely feed. inside um, right there. Yeah, that's super inside. <laughs> um, but I will say that I think one of the faithful ways that we can act as, or one of the ways that we can act as faithful Christians in this political climate is with wisdom, grace, and patience with one another. Mm. But being a voter is absolutely a part of it. And, and it's what I believe and it's what I will be doing. But I think the very first step might even be in relationship with one another. Uh, mm. Don't just be a voter, but be out there and be hateful. <laughs> um, don't, don't pollute your Facebook wall or Instagram feed with attack things about people and beliefs. Maybe spend time talking to people that you disagree with. Mm. Um, maybe showing up in heart and not just in vote. Well, I mean, there's so much more that can be said about this. I'm uh, and I'm tempted to d- drag this on, um, <laughs> but I think that it needs to, to probably bleed into another podcast. and And I think a great topic for us, Andrew and Nate, it'd be great to have you back on here. Is uh, what do you do when your candidate doesn't win? And how do you act? I mean, because this is what on November 4th, and we've already at the top of the podcast have uh, alluded to the continued divisiveness in the country and, and really the real potential for some significant uh, uprising on the 4th of November. But as a Christian, what, what do we do if our candidate does not get elected? It's a good question. Well, we'll save that podcast for, uh, it'll actually be December 10th by the time they're done counting the mail-in ballots and litigating this thing to death. So um, this year is definitely going to be the weirdest election for president that we have ever been a part of. Um, But it's going to be, it's going to be one that we have got to encourage one another with that same gracious spirit, that same patience, that same wisdom that we have been given through the Holy Spirit, we actually have to live that out here with one another. And so that'll be another, another podcast discussion. Nate, you are our guest. Uh, do you have any final words or parting thoughts? No, uh, I, I, that, I feel good. I, I mean, this is the, personally speaking, I, I can't, I'm not going to speak on behalf of the podcast, but go vote. That's, that's my, that's my, 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 my sense and uh, do it with as much wisdom as you possibly can and, and pray a lot beforehand. (laughs) (laughs) It it sounds like you have some resources, Nate, that would be available, not just for people that are uh, associated with your library, but maybe even on a national level. Um, Well, see, yeah, our voter resources really catered to our community. 
Um, and so okay. it's, it will only be partially applicable to the, the larger listenership here. Um, and, and the stuff we've done nationally has been more equipping other librarians. So, hey, I'm going to say check out your local library um, if you're looking for more voter information, because even if they don't have a voter education resource, they will point you in the right direction. If you want more information about the candidates, if you want more, if you want to just feel better informed in your vote, or if you don't know how it works, if you don't know how, if you're registered, if you don't know how to, you know, do a mail-in ballot, if that's what you want to do, uh, if there's voter ID laws in your state, all that stuff, you know, if you're, if you're at all, confused you know heads your public library if you if you hadn't thought to do so already that's awesome Excellent. well nate yeah. thank you so much for being on our podcast today uh where can people find your podcast because they have been so wowed by your voice and your uh, audio quality uh, where can they <laughs> seek out more of you yeah, right uh, if you want to, you know, I do a podcast for my library, the Cook Memorial Public Library podcast, and we do interview um, authors and other people within sort of the um, book sphere and library sphere. And then my other podcast, which is with my co-host Ryan Ebling, um, we just discuss film. If you're a film buff, if you like film, um, we, we love talking film on Can We Still Be Friends? And you can find either of those podcasts anywhere you get your pods. Yep. Uh, next upcoming episode is going to be on to five bloods. So good luck uh, keeping your, your heart in check because Nate and I have already gotten excited watching this and talking about it. So um, Spike Lee, yeah, Spike Lee, Netflix, but anyway, that's not this podcast. Right. So uh, we invite you, our listeners to be a part of the ever growing physiology global community, whether you are an academic, a pastor, a church planter, a leader, a mentor, or a spirit-filled Christian follower with a desire for God's mission in the world, we have a seat at the table for you. So there are three easy ways that you can be a part of that Ephesiology community. Step one, subscribe to the Ephesiology podcast and leave a five-star rating and review. Uh, step two, head over to Ephesiology.com and sign up for free, 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 free exclusive content delivered from us into your email. And then lastly, join the ongoing conversation on our Facebook page by searching Ephesiology. And so for myself, Michael, and our guest, Nate, thanks for doing theology and community with us today on the Ephesiology Podcast.